Welcome back, short-term shoppers. Today we have John Wojcik, a real estate investor who has a mix of long-term and short-term uh, in his portfolio. And uh, I think this one's going to be really interesting because it's very relatable for a lot of you. So I'll go ahead and welcome John to the show. How's it going, John? Good. Thanks for having me, Avery. Uh, excited to be here today. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, very uh, very honored to have been listening to a longtime listener, first time caller. So, oh, yeah. pretty uh, pretty excited to talk about uh, my journey here. Well, let's do it. Let's get into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to start off? Sure. Okay. Um, I am a father of three. Got a couple of nine month olds and a three year old at home right now. Um, my W two. I'm a nurse. I work in interventional cardiology, so that kind of means like. We put stents in and valves and that sort of thing. Um, but kind of overall, a pretty average guy. Been doing uh, real estate since 2017 to 2018. So kind of a, you know, four years, three or four years and kind of come a long way in a short amount of time. Um, learned a lot from a lot of people just kind of willing to talk to me. So um, that's kind of what I want to tell people about is, you know, how easy it is to learn from people if you're willing to listen and willing to let people talk to you and show you how it's done. A willingness to listen is uh, very important, and I'm really interested to hear you get into that. But let's start off. Let's back up a little bit. How many properties do you own and what all is in your portfolio? So you started in 2018-ish. Tell us what you got. Yeah, so uh, we bought our first property in San Diego, our primary residence, in 2012. Um, that was kind of, we just happened to get lucky at the bottom of the market. And in 2018, um, we were able to leverage that to start doing uh, out-of-state investing. Uh, you know, we were rehabbing things in Jacksonville, Florida, and you know, not expensive houses, 80 to $100,000 houses, rehabbing them, renting them out. Um, the Burr method, uh, David Green is so happy to tell everybody about and teach us how about. So um, basically, I just followed his instructions and how he does it. And, you know, the first one was a little hard and, you know, you learn some things and from there you kind of keep on moving. Okay, so how uh, many of your properties have you burred so far? Right. So uh, the first house, I guess I could kind of tell you a couple stories about that. Um, I started listening to Bigger Pockets. This was like 2017. Um, David Green was on podcast number 257, and he's talking about out of state investing and how, you know, we're always trying to find the diamond in the rough in our local markets. And if you can find the market that is the diamond in the rough, it's a lot easier to find properties at that point. Um, so I listened to his podcast. I bought his book, um, Long Distance Real Estate Investing, and that really changed my life. Um, you know, it, it wasn't anything groundbreaking. It wasn't that he was using words that I didn't understand or hear before, um, but to put things in perspective, things that you already do, like if you need a plumber, you go on Yelp and you look for reviews and you hire a plumber. It's the same way as if it's in Florida, the same way if it's in San Diego, you're making the same phone calls. Um, so that really gave me the courage um, to start there. So the first house I bought, um, I found an agent who talked the talk. She knew everything top to bottom. You know, I've, I've been learning a lot at this point. Um, so I thought, okay, this, this lady, she's great. She's gonna, you know, take me to financial freedom. 
um, you know, one burr at a time. So I bought this house and it needed a fair amount of work. I think I had about a hundred thousand dollars to work with. So I put, I think I bought it for 70,000 and I, I put about 20,000 into it. Um, the interesting thing was, and one thing that I learned is that contractors love to uh, have you and take you for their business. Um, but one thing is they don't always tell you when they're going to start. So for me, it was, hey, this is only going to take six weeks. Great. We'll be on the market. We'll be able to rent it out. Four months later, I can refinance, get my money back, do it again. And uh, I just remember, you know, it was taken, uh, you know, a month. They hadn't started yet. Another couple of weeks, they hadn't started yet. And uh, eventually, um, it took three months for them even to start the project. So got the house done, tried to rent it out, couldn't rent it out because apparently there was a tent city of homeless people living on the other side of the street that is not in any of the photos. But if I was smart enough to use uh, Google Street View, which I am now, and I could have walked down the street and seen, okay, well, there's a tent city living across the street. Um, you know, my agent wasn't very forthcoming with me on that, which was pretty frustrating. Um, and in the meantime, I had bought a second house because I'm like, all right, well, I can do this. Let's buy a second one. Uh, and I bought that house for 70000 and it didn't need a lot of work. And I, I rented it out pretty quickly. Um, I actually had a different contractor that I met on Bigger Pockets see the first house. And he kind of saved the day, fixed some of the problems that the first contractor did. And I was able to rent that house. Um, so now I have these two rentals. And I thought, you know, I'm on top of the world. I got these two rentals. I don't know anybody. I think I was like 29. So I'm like, yeah, I'm doing all these things. I'm going to, I'm going to be this, you know, rich millionaire here. Um, and I was out, I had a nice morning. I went out surfing. It was one of those days where the waves are like, you know, six to seven feet, just really nice barrels. And I'm out there for two hours and I come back in, I got two missed phone calls and uh, it's my property manager. And He's like, uh, hey, John, so we're going to have to find a new tenant for that second house. And that was the house that was going well. And I was like, well, why do we need a new tenant? They just got in there. Everything's great. And I'm like, well, um, they called the police last night. Uh, there was a attempted murder. They cut the door down with an axe. Um, but we can fix the door. Um, but we got to get a new tenant in there. And um, so this was kind of like my first two houses. And I was panicking. And at the time, I, I didn't want to tell my wife, you know, like, I'm not trying to tell her like, hey, I'm blowing all our money. Uh, what am I even doing in real estate? Like, this is this is all awful. Um, and I do feel that if you are a real estate investor and you've never looked in the mirror and thought, like, what am I even doing in, with my life right now? Like, have you even really been investing that long? Because I feel like you just have those moments. Um but after that, that contractor that I, the second contractor that I met really took me under his wing. We got things going and we've done seven um, burrs in Jacksonville uh, up until about two years ago before I got into the short-term rentals. So a uh, bumpy start and there will be some times where you get tested. So for the new people out there, um, you know, as long as nobody's got murdered in your house, I, th I think, I think you're going to be okay. 
Okay. Hang on before we get to any short-term stuff. I have a lot of questions on this. Uh, okay. First, probably the most serious question. Well, I guess it depends on how you look at it. It's the most relevant to real estate investing. Uh, were you paying cash for the birds or were you starting out financing and then rehabbing and then refinancing? Yeah. So uh, the deal with refinancing is if you want to refinance after you buy a house and you want it to show the value of the effort that you've put into it, you have to wait six months to season. So I took out a home equity line of credit um, against my primary house, $100,000. And I put that into the first house. Um, and I was able to eventually refinance and get most of the money out. I think that's one thing um, that for me is a little different. I thought that you had to get 100% of your money out. And if you didn't, it was a failure. And over the seven houses, I think I've averaged about 5% or, or sorry, 5,000 to 8,000. So it's it's not, you know, 100% cash out. But at the end of the day, it's like, I make 50% of that back in a year. So it still works. Um, but for, for some people, you got to find out what your strength is. And my strength at the time was I was able to take out an equity line of credit. I would imagine a primary home in San Diego now has a ton of equity. But there's one thing that you said that I want to bring to the surface here. And that's you thought at first you needed to get all of your money out or else it was a failure. And I think that's a really important concept when it comes to real estate investing, not just for Burr, but for other types of, of strategies as well, is that a lot of times getting really close to your goal is hitting your goal. I see a lot of new investors say, oh, well, you know, I wanted to pull out, you know, I needed to pull out $75,000 out of that Burr for it to be a success. And I pulled out 74999 so I'm not going to do it. Or something similar to that. Like, you know, they'll be off by the right. tiniest fraction and then they that will keep them from getting started. And I think that's really important that as long as you are close, like in the ballpark of that goal, to me anyway, it's, I consider it a win and I'm going for it. I'm not waiting to, for, you know, that one little tiny percentage point to, to happen because it may never happen. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is like, I think, you do all these things to learn all this and you talk to all these people and you know, in the end of the day, you're, you're a beginner still, you know, and your first house you're, is not going to be a home run. It doesn't have to be a home run. I think as long as you kind of start playing the game, especially in the world we live in now, I, I think, um, you know, some people talk about, okay, you need these numbers to be exactly this way. Otherwise, the numbers don't work here anymore. The numbers don't work on the Smokies anymore. People say that every week. And it's the thing is, the numbers still work. We're, you have cash flow, and ca cash flow is great. Um, but for us, for a lot of us who've been investing for any period of time, even for six months, we've made way more in equity than we've made in the cash flow. And it, like, I feel like that gets lost in conversation regularly is just how much equity people are gaining right now. You know, you just kind of want to ride that wave of appreciation. You mentioned short term in the Smokies, and we'll get to that in a second. I'm still on the murder. So I have a lot of questions about that. <laughs> it was attempted murder. So I think I, it turned out okay. Also, um, if anyone listening is like knows my wife, don't tell her about this. It might send her into a panic attack. We'll just, she doesn't know. 
It was like five years ago. We're okay. We're going to be okay. okay. All right. Well, wait. I still have questions. I've, I'm very much not done with this. So <laughs> one tenant tried to murder the other tenant or someone outside came to murder? I think it was a domestic. So I don't know a ton about the details. Um, one thing that I struggled with, too, was I thought that I had, you know, the best property managers of all time. Um, that was not the case. Um, but apparently what happened was um the man in the house was trying to get into like the woman who like locked herself in the bedroom for whatever reason i don't know what it was um and took an axe to the door um so i don't know that that's i don't know any more details i don't know if it was just like related to the door i don't i mean and, i don't know the axe to the girlfriend i need to know these things but yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I know that everybody's okay. There were no trips to the hospital. Um, but, you know, that was not my first run in uh, with the police. Uh, you know, if, if you want to hear my police stories, I, I got several police stories. But, um, you know, we all had to start somewhere. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I thank the, uh, the people in blue for keeping us safe on the streets and uh, keeping, uh, sorry, I got to keep bothering them with my properties and my tenants. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> my assistant's texting me on the side why is there an axe at all <laughs> yeah, where, like i don't know it, it would seem like maybe tennessee there would make more sense that there would be an axe because you'd be splitting firewood but in jacksonville it's too hot for fire so i don't i don't know what the deal is with that oh, i have so many questions that i guess will have to go unanswered because we only have so much time so let's talk about your short terms and okay. anything is going to seem like a walk in the park after having an, a tent city that you didn't know was there on your first property and your second property and attempted murder like two days after they after they check in, after they move in. So tell, let's, yeah. let's move on to short yeah. terms. Let's move on to happier times here. <laughs> OK. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess one thing I would just want to bring up that I think might be helpful for some people. We talk about willingness to learn. Um, I kind of got my start with all of this um, that you can just learn so much from these people um, on the internet these days. Um, back in 2012, 2013, after I bought my house, I started learning about credit cards and we call it the points game, but how you can use points to travel and, and have all these experiences. And there's all kinds of blogs and all kinds of information and podcasts that I used to over the course of time, go from somebody who could maybe you know, get one flight from the East Coast to the West Coast. Two in the end, we were flying in first class from LAX to the Maldives and, you know, drinking Dom Perignon and taking showers on an airplane. And we were doing it all for free. And we were doing that. I kind of feel like at a pretty high level, I felt that I was a bit of an expert at that point. And I wanted to find a way to make money off of it. And I just, I couldn't figure out a way. Um, there's, you know, they have all these blogs. There's not a lot of money and that sort of thing. Um, and I found out about real estate and I, I thought, okay, well, with bigger pockets, it's the same thing. You know, go on here. They have, I think they have like 500 podcasts now. And I just started listening to them and listening to them, listening to them. And then eventually I uh, came to a podcast about short-term rentals. Um, this was uh, somebody, Avery Carl, I think was the person's name. And they were talking about short-term rentals and how you can make so much more cash flow than what my long-terms are doing. 
And, you know, I was between Palm Springs and East Tennessee. And at the end of the day, I chose the money over, you know, having the tangible, touchable house down the street. I chose the, the market that was the diamond in the rough. Um, so I got into, this would have been 2020, um, COVID had hit and we had to make a decision. Um, and I told my wife, you know, if you want to do this, you know, she, she couldn't go back to work because she was working in people's houses. And if you want to do this, you're going to have to start to be a host. And she's very excited about it. Um, but had a little less experience with me you know, particularly dealing with the cops and real estate and that sort of thing. But I told her I would show her the way and uh, got into a five bedroom in uh, this would have been Pigeon Forge and just, you know, nothing special. It was a five bedroom, no view, no pool, no nothing. And we were hoping that it would make $90,000 gross. And I think we ended the year at 171,000 gross. Um, so we've been very impressed um, with short-term renting and pretty much dove in right after that. We got a $1,500 a night booking for Thanksgiving the day we went live. And I remember falling off the couch, like just not even knowing how to handle it. Like we weren't even trying to get a booking. And the next day we started making offers for the next one with any money we could get our hands on. How are you financing these? Okay, so um, that first one was 10% loan. That was a second home loan. Um, so we paid, I think we were all in at something around $70,000, um, which, you know, nowadays everybody's going to say, well, you know, that's, you know, impossible to do now. Um, but you have to remember, we were only trying to gross $90,000. So to us, $90,000 for a $600,000 home made sense. And right now, I still feel like you can find that. They're not called five-bedroom homes. They're called two-bedroom homes. Um, but you can still find these deals that make sense and will make money. So we did that one. Then the rest of them, we were doing 15% investment loans that took the um, – that it takes the projected rent into account. Um, so 15% was a win for us. We're taking the money that we're making on the first house. Um, I increased my HELOC on my primary from a hundred thousand to 250,000. Um, so now we are up to four cabins in East Tennessee. And as of last night, went under contract for a beach house in Gulf Shores. So we're pretty excited about that is exciting. So what is the bedroom count? Like how many bedrooms is each property? So the first property we have, um, it's a five-bedroom, uh, four-bath. And uh, the second one we have is a two-bed, two-bath uh, with a view. That also blew our expectations out of the water. Um, we were hoping to make like 65, and I think we we passed 100, like 103,000 last year. On a two-bedroom? A two-bedroom with a view, yeah. Wow, you did over 100 on a two-bedroom. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, I priced it what I thought was competitive and every month was 100% occupancy, 100% occupancy. Um, and I kept going up and up and up. And I just I couldn't get it to where I wanted to be at the 75% occupancy um, number because I knew that for me, that would be kind of a sweet spot of like not renting it too often, um, but not leaving too much money on the table. 
Um, and then we bought a four bed, um, which we did some rehab work on. And then we bought another four bed in September of last year. Okay. And how big is the Gulf Shores place? Yeah. Uh, so the Gulf Shores is exciting. Um, and the financing on that was very difficult. Um, the Gulf Shores house is a five bed, um, five bath, uh, across the street from the beach with a view and a pool. Um, it's, it's a house that I would want to stay at. I haven't bought any houses that I would want to stay at. It was all about the money. And this was the first one that we were like, let's just get this house. Cause we want to go there and it's definitely going to make money. Um, but I couldn't find a way to finance it. I'm currently hung up with my tax return. Um, so I can't get the second home loan because I don't have my new tax return back. That shows my gross rent from last year. And this house came up and it was just perfect for us. And I finally got a hold of uh, somebody um, who was recommended from an old friend of mine. Um, that's another thing is just be nice to people because you don't know when somebody's going to help you out. If you're just really, truly nice to people, somebody might throw you a bone here and there. And this guy basically able to do a portfolio loan where they took the equity from our Jacksonville houses as the down payment for a DSCR loan. Oh, awesome. Awesome. That's so your other 15% downs up to this point were conventional investment loans. Yeah. And so I would pay cash for that. Um, and I thought I was going to have to do that maybe sell some of these houses in Jacksonville that I own that I couldn't get mortgages on for one reason or another. And, um, this loan, they're able to take that as the down payment. So I'll have three houses, um, on the mortgage. Um, but it's kind of cool cause it's, you know, it, my, these were the first houses I bought in my journey that are now paying for like this house that I never thought I could own or would own. Um, so it's kind of exciting. Yeah, that is exciting when the houses start pay, paying for the houses, excuse me. <clears throat> so you have, you've done some creative things here. So you've, you've done a HELOC so that you could burr and then obviously you've paid that HELOC back a time or two and reused it. Then you've done a 10% down vacation home loan, a few 15% down conventional investment loans. And now you've got some type of a portfolio loan because you needed some creative financing. So that's, um, I really like that strategy. And a lot of people that get so weirded out for some reason about conventional financing, but conventional financing is always probably going to be the easiest, not maybe not the easiest to get because of debt to income stuff, but it's going to have the best terms. It's typically going to be the easiest to get uh, because Fannie and Freddie lenders are just so, you know, widespread and the terms are always going to be the best. So I always say like, if you can get conventional financing on something, why wouldn't you? Because it's going to be the easiest to deal with. I know uh, the mortgage shop we have, so we're a broker and we've been dealing with a few of the 15% down DSCR lenders lately that we were like promised the world by. So we sent them a bunch of clients they've closed nothing. It's been a complete nightmare. We're having to like mm -hmm. go around and apologize to everybody because the DSCR loans, while I've, I, I was really excited about them and I still am. There are some other, other lenders out there that we're experimenting with, but they've just been a real difficult product to actually get to close. Like a lot of them need a full 60 days to close, which you're never going to get an offer accepted 
in any of the markets that we work in with a right. six day close. So uh, conventional is like always the easiest and it's really easy. I mean, I'm guilty of it getting that shiny object syndrome with the like the new cool products because I did it with the DSCRs and then it just like has totally bitten me in the ass. Um, anyway, tangent, uh, but conventional <laughs> financing, if you can get it, is always a great way to go. Yeah, and, and you know, they talk about, um, you know, conventional financing and, and that's not always easy. So when we were trying to do our first short-term rental on that five-bedroom house, I, I sat down one day and I called 31 banks um, I was calling everybody in Tennessee. They say, okay, call local, try to build a relationship, try to do credit unions. And I, I couldn't get a loan from anybody. Um, finally started um, calling some people that were recommended by my agents. And they were the ones who are like, okay, well, we can do the second home loan now because they understand how these short-term rentals work. Um, they were also the ones who are like, okay, well, you know, if you can't do 10% down, 15% is pretty good too. Um, so I started to build that relationship um, with them, which has been really great. And, you know, then I kind of fell into this portfolio loan uh, yesterday. And I've heard whispers of all these things. And, you know, every time you do something new, it's a little bit scary. Um, but, you know, you you just kind of have to keep knocking on doors and calling your contacts, being nice to everybody. And, and, you know, hopefully somebody helps you out because I, I think most people do want to help each other out and they want to help out people that they like, you know, and it's, it, it's a stressful business. So, you know, not everything's always going to fall your way. So, you know, when things are really difficult and you take it out on the people who are trying to help you, you know, they're, they're not going to bend over backwards the next time. So, you know, Prince would say, you know, you better act your age, not your shoe size. So I think it's important that we in, like remember that. We're just going to end the episode here. That's the best advice. I know everybody thinks that that is it's ridiculous. It's it's elementary advice, but being nice to people will get you so much further than anything else. Because at some point in your real estate career, you know, if you're buying 10 houses, something is going to go sideways at some point. And if you're like screaming at your loan officer or screaming at your agent or whoever, because something unexpected happened, which it's real estate, that's what happens all the uh, time. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to want to go the extra mile to help you next time. Like, um, we had a client a week or two ago who got all the way to the end of their contract. They were super nice. Like, so like we, they were just the kind of people that you really want to be successful because they're so nice that, that you almost feel bad about yourself. You ever meet those people that like, yeah. they're so yeah. nice. You're like, man, they're so nice. I'm such a jerk. And they got all the way to the end <laughs> and their lender said uh, something happened. They misquoted something. And uh, now the people weren't going to be able to qualify unless the lender and agents reduced their commission. And even though that wasn't our bad, it wasn't anything like the, the agent they were working with and the short-term shop were like happy to lower that commission to make sure they got this property because they were so nice. We really wanted them to do well. Whereas if somebody had been screaming at us the whole time, I'm not, you know, why would I help you out with that? So, I mean, I probably would, but uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to. I would Are not you one of those people about. that makes everyone feel bad because you're so nice? No, nope, that is not. That's not me. But uh, you know, I'm not going to complain about helping someone who I want to help. I will complain about all day about helping somebody who's a jerk. So 
you'll know about it. <laughs> but that's it's just such good advice. And I know people are probably sick of me saying this on here, but like just be nice to people. Real estate is so much a relationship game. And yeah. if you don't find out that it's not transactional, like on your first couple of deals, it, it'll something will come up that you will say, like, oh, I wish I would have done this differently. I wish I would have not done that because a relationship, you know, you didn't get a deal or you didn't get something because uh, you didn't have a good relationship with somebody. So it's very much, even if you don't like people, you've got to be nice to people. So anyway. Yeah. And you know, and sometimes <laughs> maybe you say the wrong thing, you know, maybe you're drinking and Facebooking that got me in trouble before, but you know, just call them up, apologize. You know, you just, you have to be real in this business and people are going to help you out. Very, very true. Uh, oh, so how are you choosing your market? So you've got Smokies and you've got Gulf Shores. Whoops, sorry. I banged my ring on the table and that was loud. Uh, you got Smokies, you've got Gulf Shores. What made you choose those two markets? Yeah, well, so Smokies, Gulf Shores, Jacksonville, and now San Diego. Um, you know, San Diego, it's for me, It's there's only so much real estate in Southern California. I know there's not a lot of cash flow in it. Um, but when we're buying here and people are buying now, I'd be happy to buy now if things fell a certain way. Um, there's only so much Cal uh, real estate in Southern California. So I got, I got no problem believing in the system here. Um, I chose Jacksonville because people had been moving there like one or 2% population increase every year for a decade or two. Um, so supply and demand for that. Uh, Tennessee, I chose because, uh, you know, the numbers seemed to work and I knew I was going to get some help learning how to do the whole Airbnb host thing. I was completely naive to that. I didn't, I really didn't understand anything about that. So to kind of get some help along the way um, from the agency was very beneficial. And the Gulf Shores, I've actually been kind of looking at several uh, markets between as far west as the Gulf Shores, as far east as East Point um, and St. George Island, and just kind of looking at whatever house popped up that really made a lot of sense. Uh, there was one in Destin that I really liked that's been sitting on the market, and I was going to wait to make an offer until my tax return came back, which if my accountant's listening, thank you for not helping me on that one, um, <laughs> because this other one fell into my lap, and uh very excited to get this. I know the Gulf Shores is a little bit um, of a smaller market compared to Tennessee, um, but you know they're doing some really good things. the The income there is very similar based off the data that as Tennessee is, um, and I know they're increasing their airport size, so they should be getting some uh, more visitors there too, which will be hopefully good in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are to the last three questions of the show that we ask everyone. And the first one is, what advice would you give 20-year-old John? Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, I got into real estate pretty early. This, I guess I would have been like 28. Um, but I think you just need to start um, and don't buy a bad deal. I think like you might not buy the best deal as your first one but just get into it and just learn. You're not going to learn as much from any of this until you kind of just start and just buy something. It doesn't have to be super fancy. It doesn't have to be high end. It doesn't have to cash flow $300,000 a year. The numbers just have to make sense to where you're not losing money and 
you know, you start to expand. And we saw last year, we saw our best um, increase in appreciation at a time when we had 10 houses, um, which would have been less exciting if we only had one or two. So for me, just getting started as soon as you can really makes a big difference. 100% agree with that. Uh, Second question, which is kind of similar to the first, what advice would you give to a new investor who's getting started today? Uh, This would be like for short term, for short term renting, that sort of thing. Well, or anything, but it is the short term show, so you could go either way. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think with short term, if, if you're just getting started, really picking a market that other people are excited about. I think that, you know, you kind of want to be the smartest person in the room and and you want to do all this research and you want to look at all these population shifts. Um, But, you know, there's a top 10 list everywhere. You don't have to be the number one location. You can be the number 10 location. But if people have been doing it there before and are doing it well and are being successful, most of these markets you're going to be successful in. if you're a beginner, for sure, stay away from anything that's having any legislation conversations, um, which, you know, I'm kind of glad that we didn't get into Palm Springs because they pretty much shut down um, permits for a period of time. And now they're trying to open things back up. But it's it just you can't buy insurance for that. You can buy insurance for hurricanes, but you can't buy insurance for legislation. So that was a total knowledge bomb quotable. You can't buy insurance for legislation. It's so true. I'm, I'm in the same boat with you there, 100%. <clears throat> All right. Last question. What is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Uh, well, first book for me was Rich Dad, Poor, Poor Dad, um, Cashflow Quadrant. That like made me understand uh, money. I feel like I didn't really understand money. I understood compound interest and I thought, okay, if I kept saving 401k, this, this, and this, maybe I can retire when I'm 59 then have like 11 great years before I kick the can. Um, But I think a book that really made a big difference for me is the long distance real estate investing um, by David Green. It just really spells out how to do everything. I mean, he's even like writing out how to write an email to agents you've never met before or contractors and really kind of gives you the courage to start investing and start buying in a place where you don't know anyone you've never been, you may never go to. Um, I think I was only in Tennessee once and it was on the first house and I was there for three days and I spent more time in Lowe's and Walmart than I spent in the actual house. So, you know, it's, it's been great for us. I would love to go there and spend some time there. Um, but that book in particular will give you the courage to do things um, that are at a distance. So. Always a great one. I've recommended that one to a lot of people and it really, really is helpful. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, is there any, you have any last words you want to say before we hop off to the audience? Uh, no, I, I mean, I think for me, it's you've had so many incredible guests on your show. You've had all kinds of levels of the spectrum. I think for me, I'm very uh, happily average. Um, you know, I, I'm not doing anything special. I'm not reinventing the wheel. Um, do not try to reinvent the wheel if, if you're not somebody who knows how to do that. Just 
follow what other people are doing and are successful. You know, people want to bring you along for the ride. Totally agree. Well, great advice to end the show. And thank you again so much for coming on and we'll catch you later. All right. Thanks again.